we, we had um, one of the leaders at Asbury speak at Taylor in the spring. You know, some of us heard him speak and, um, and, and got to speak to him privately. And it was amazing hearing his stories. And, and, and he would tell stories about some of the people that he encountered during this amazing revival when God's presence was so abundant. And, you know, some of us who went there, just this, the magnificence of his love. Brandon, was that what you, you talked about God's love, that, the encounters of his love. And it was amazing listen to, listening to this leader, even in, in that, that depth of God's presence, how many people came with pride and wanted to get on the stage and wanted the microphone. And maybe, you know, maybe some of them are right, but the leaders just said, no, this is about Jesus. No one's getting on the stage. The only people to speak there were just people giving testimonies or the local pastor. And it'd be nice to think that when there's this abundance of God's presence, that humility would come naturally. <laughs> but it doesn't always. It's something that we have to work for. Like we think about the, the content of humility, of sacrifice, of laying ourselves down. Like these are not normal human things. It's not the way the world works. It's not the model that's given to us while we grow up. And as I've said repeatedly, and we're going to keep saying this, you know, there's times that God's going to call us to lay things down, and it's always for our good. It's always for our good, because we're always becoming more of the people that He wants us to be. Always. We're always getting rid of our rubbish. And, and I've talked about how if and I'm going, to, I'm going to say more about this, but think about humility as the soil from which the fruit of the Spirit will grow. The presence of the Lord can rest. The gifts of the Spirit can flourish. I think that's so important for us. How many of us know churches where, where God's power has moved incredibly? And people have dramatic encounters and, and, and the worst diseases are healed. And then within a few months or a year, the church splits. And then the spirit lifts. And the miracles stop. I know too many churches like that. And, it, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny thing. You know, people, people will say to me, I'm praying for revival. And, and my first response is, are you sure? Are you sure you want revival? Because man, it's going to kick up a lot of mess. Because people around you are broken. Are you sure? And then when you're sure, absolutely, let's do this. <laughs> but humility, is, is, it, it cultivates the ground. And, and if, if we're going to keep being the people that, that, that is crying out for God's presence and crying out for miracles and signs and wonders and, and freedom in people, then we need humility. Because humility, it cultivates the ground for the Holy Spirit. But it's an antidote to our own stupidity. It's the best antidote we have to our own human stupidity. Because we always want to control. We always want to be in charge. We always want to be the one getting the credit. And, and maybe, maybe God in his kindness 
saying to us, if you will, if you will do this, if you will press in, if you will, if you'll be vulnerable with me, if you'll really, truly press into humility, I will bless you. But I'm too kind to bless you with more of me until you're ready. Because I don't want us to be just another church where he moves. And it falls apart. So remember these words that I've read before. Jesus said to his disciples, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't know how, how much those words even resonate with us today. Um, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I'm South African. I grew up in, in South Africa. Um, and there's obviously lots of sermons and stories in that. But I, I, was in, I, I, was, I was privileged in that society. And my whole life, I had, I had women who worked in my home, who served me. And they weren't slaves, but they served me. I never made my bed. I didn't have to fold my clothes and put them away. I didn't have to clean the bath. I had no chores growing up because there were women who served me and served my siblings. And you know what? They showed me the love of God unlike any other person I know. Because not only did they serve me, but they loved me. And I, and I read these words that Jesus is saying, will you be the servant of those around you? Will you be the servant of your brothers and sisters? Will you bless and will you love even as you serve? And that's so not easy <laughs> for us to do. It's only by his spirit. But this is his kingdom, okay? So we, we are Kingdom Life Church. We, we didn't choose that name by accident, you know, did we? We wanted to be a church where his kingdom was life, and we experienced his kingdom life. And the thing with the kingdom of God is we don't get to say, Jesus, can we have your kingdom? But can we just have the bits that we like, please? Can we just pick and choose? We'll have the easy bits. We'll have the miracles. We'll have the signs and wonders. You can keep the humility. You can keep being broken, the sacrifice. You know, we can't do that, can we? Jesus is like, this is my kingdom. If we want to be people of his kingdom, we have to embrace the kingdom. We don't get to choose. And his kingdom is one of humility. When we, when we start to see the power in the place of humility, that it's that's not an add-on, that it's absolutely central, then those things that work against humility, things like our pride and our control, they, bec they become things to detest. They become things to hate in the right way. <laughs> that we want to get rid of them, not to tolerate them any longer, but to destroy them. And, and the, the irony of that, that scripture that I read when Jesus is 
telling his disciples to be the greatest, you must be the least. The irony of that is that that, that precedes his rebuke of Peter. Because Peter's one of the guys who's saying, I'm, you know, I want to be the greatest. I don't know who else was arguing. You know, we know John and his brother had, had a moment with that as well. And Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, all of the disciples. And God allows it. Peter goes from this moment of saying and proclaiming and wanting to be the greatest to Jesus saying, you're going to be sifted and I'm praying that you will not fail. And we know what happens. You know, maybe Peter gets a bad rap because he is actually the one disciple who follows. But he betrays Jesus and his pride and his arrogance and the shallowness of his love and the weakness of his character and all of these things are exposed in these denials. And then, when he's at his least, he's ready for Pentecost. When he's humbled, he's ready for Pentecost. Now the kingdom could manifest in him. It couldn't manifest in the Peter that was proud. And and as a church, for us to have this attitude... Lord, I want to lay down everything. I want, to, I want to seek the content of your kingdom. No matter what that looks like, no matter what it is, I want to seek the content. I want to, I want to press into it. I want to grab hold of it. I want to strip away what keeps me away from your kingdom. And you know, I know when the students were here, you know, we're going after some things, some pretty heavy things like you know, shallow pride and religious pride and these things, and, they, and they're quite tricky. And it, and, it, and it can be exhausting. You, know, you feel like you're getting stripped and ripped, and it's, it is a little exhausting. Um, you know, and, and, and there's these words of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. They, this is scriptural. This is biblical. To say to the Lord, search me. Take this stuff out of me. But again, there might be a little bit of pain in the process, but what he's doing is bringing us life, and he's bringing us freedom, and he's ripping off the sinful humanity out of us. And that's where we find true freedom, and we find true joy, and we find true life. And it's funny to me how often I preach, and I feel like the messages are heavy, but I've been laughing the entire time I've been preparing them, which is kind of weird. But you know, I, 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 I'm tasting what I think the Lord's going to do. Even if when I give the message, it, it might be heavy. But there's life in it. It's what he wants, you know, the life that he wants to bring to us. And I, I, know, I know this is our core and, and visitors who are often here. You know, we, you know like an extended family. Um, and we want to see more of God. We want to see more miracles. We want to see people get free. It was absolutely amazing being away for three weeks. A little nerve-wracking. You know, we do wonder whether you actually want us back. When, you know, maybe you've done really well without us, and we, we could find another home. There's other churches. You know, it's America. But, you know, it was, it was okay, the food was amazing. You know, the scenery was amazing. Swimming in the Mediterranean, who doesn't like doing that, you know? Um, but... Going to a place where 
where God has been worshipped, obviously, for 2,000 years plus, and these cathedrals, cathedral after cathedral. You know, and I know it's not about the buildings, and, you know, there's all sorts of stuff mixed up in that, but just to see the place of honor that is given the Lord in these cities. I sent one of the, you know, everyone knows the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but for some reason I've never seen pictures of the cathedral, which just dominates the space around the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is completely covered in marble. It looks like something out of Lord of the Rings, you know. So amazing. And yet, between Italy and then you know, and seeing my family in, in England, the world is just, there's so much brokenness. There's so many lost people. And there's so much anxiety. <laughs> and the world is throwing solutions and solutions and solutions, and they're not really working, and they're probably making things worse. And the world needs the church. And, and for us to, to call on the Lord for more is, is to call on the Lord to fulfill his proclamation of Isaiah 61. And the sending out of the, of the disciples in Luke 9. And it's the reality of Acts 1 and Acts 3. So many miracles, so many signs and wonders that we see in the New Testament. We're just asking for the gospel that we read about, that we see. We're asking for Jesus' ministry to continue. And when I was, when I was praying about tonight, I, just, I had this really simple picture um, and it was a picture of the Lord's real pleasure over us. And we were, we were standing as a body in this, it was a huge copper basin. I'll say bowl, but it was so wide and flat. And we were standing in it, and it was God's presence. And it was amazing. But it was kind of ankle high, you know, calf high. And then I saw the Lord digging out, digging out. And we were going deeper. And we're going deeper. And there was such a sense of pride and, and happiness in the Lord towards us. But this, this promise of more, that the water started coming up and coming up and coming up. The depths of his presence increasing. If we will, if we will let him and allow ourselves to be immersed in him. And I really believe that pressing into this cycle of humbling ourselves and meeting God and rejoicing in the freedom that he will increasingly immerse us in his presence. So that's a little reminder of the why. And it's why we're not done yet because there's a few things we still have to do. Matt is not humble yet. <laughs> so much closer. So much closer. Um, but I wanted to finish by just talking about the Father. Cass said to me, you don't have to talk about the Father just because it's Father's Day. I said, you're right. I didn't talk about God as mother or anything on Mother's Day, so I didn't, like, there's some sort of equity here. I don't know. But, um, but this, this was something that's just been kind of surprising me. And I, 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 like I said, I'm kind of seeing it dimly, so I just want to kind of offer it to you. And I, and I just think it's, a, it's something that the Lord wants to do as a part of the next few weeks, next few years. 
And I said to Kath, there's, there's something about humility and, 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 and being in the Father's presence. And, and, and I said, and I don't know what the scripture is to help me show that. I mean, that was just my first thought. I, I, the Lord was, I just felt the Lord saying this, that, that there's something deeper. And, and I don't know with you, if you have conversations with your friends, you know, some, sometimes people have a, a really deep relationship with Jesus or a deep relationship with the Holy Spirit or a deep relationship with the Father. You know, sometimes I think we just connect with different members of the Godhead in different ways. It might be about our upbringing or, you know, something. And, and I, so, you know, maybe this is just for me personally that the Father is, is, is saying it's time for you to know more about me. But maybe that's relevant to, to some of us here. And so I said to Kathy, like, I'm not sure what the scripture is, um, you know, besides the very obvious, that so many of the scriptures that we've read over the last few months have been about Jesus being the ultimate model of humility, the one who laid down everything, who died for us, is the one who reveals the Father to us. And he is the one who knows the Father. He is the one who is the representation of the Father. So maybe that's sufficient. That the one who truly knows the Father is the one who is truly humble before him. There's also the obvious fact that if any of us were to find ourselves before a smidgen of the Father's glory, we are going to be on our faces humbled. No doubt that those two things go together. There's this reality. If we meet the Father, we're going to be humble. I love Ezekiel. And Ezekiel has this vision in chapters 1 and 2 of the glory of the Lord. He's just seeing images which are a reflection of the glory of the Lord, and he ends up on his face. Isaiah sees the Lord in a vision, and we, we know these words well, but I'll remind us, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. And we have this curious moment when an angel touches his lips and says, your sins are purged. You're not going to die. <laughs> and maybe the greatest prophet of all, Moses, the one who actually we told could speak to God face to face, that when God moved past him, he had to cover his face so that he wouldn't die. <coughs> the glory of God is enough to kill us. <coughs> Would you be quiet? <laughs> I'm sure it's the Lord. There's some sort of rebuke in there for you. So, <laughs> and, and think, about, think about Abraham and think about Moses. Think about Isaiah and Ezekiel. Think about Daniel and Amos. Think about all of the Old Testament prophets. Think of John the Baptist. None of them got to call God Father. None of them got that privilege. Jesus, when he teaches us how to pray, says, Say, Our Father, our Father who is in heaven. And when he's resurrected, some of the first words that he says is, I'm going to my Father and to your Father. 
we, we know this scripture. You know, in Hebrews, we're told we can come boldly before the throne of grace. This reality of the cross opening the way for us into the Holy of, Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. And I've preached that so many times, I've said it so many times, I've read that scripture so many times. Yet as I was, as I was praying and reading, I just felt the Lord saying, like, this it's still a theory to you, Nicholas. It's an amazing theory, but it's still a theory. I'm still that stoic God sitting on the throne, and I have decided to make a way for you to come into my presence. And I love this scripture. And I've prayed so many times and felt the presence of the Lord, like all of us have. I've felt the Father's blessing. I've experienced that. But still he said to me, there's something about this that it's a theory to you. And it has to be so much more. It has to be absolutely real and tangible. I like to think when the writer of Hebrews says that we can come boldly, you know, we don't run in there with arrogance, do we? It probably wouldn't go so well for us. Like the, just the sheer boldness of being able to say, I can walk into my Father's presence. That reality is boldness. And this is the wonder of our gospel. And then obviously my wife, being as wise as she is, said, to me, well, the obvious scripture for this is obviously the prodigal son. Or the story of the running father. And I'm not going to read it because I know we all know it so well, but I will finish with this. And you know, we, the stories that we know so well and, and we, can, we can have this sort of separation from them. Let the reality of this story from Jesus himself Settle in our hearts. That we have this, we have that first son, and he's proud and arrogant and selfish and he's rebellious and he's brought absolutely low. He's brought to the end of himself. He's broken, like Peter was broken. And he comes back to his father and he's expecting nothing but the life of a servant. And the father runs to him. And the father th throws a, a cloak of privilege over him and, and, and a ring of identity of the family. You are my son. He's not the stoic God sitting on a throne making a way. But he's a father who runs to those who were lost. This is the love of the Father. And of course we have the older brother who is so challenging because he's so like so many of us in the church. Yet he works for acceptance and he works for love. And he thinks he can earn privilege with his father and he's proud and he rejects the grace and kindness of his father towards his brother. He clearly is not a reflection of his father's heart. And his father tells him, everything I have was already yours. You just had to ask. You just had to ask. 
but his pride blinds him to that reality. And I'm, I'm not a perfect father by any means, am I, Grace? I think today I've done fairly well. I did beat her at Mario Kart. That was mean. In fairness, she did wrap a present for me, which my wife then took and said, that's mine. So that was weird. So I think I owed you for that one. But, um, <laughs> you know, Matt talks about his sons. He talks about this, and it, it, there is something about parenting which makes us so real. I, I am a completely and utterly limited father. But there's nothing I wouldn't do for my kids. I love intimacy. I love time with my children. I love playing with them. I love laughing with them. I love seeing them flourish. And we know the story when Jesus says, you, know, you even though you're evil, know how to give good things to your children. How much more does the father want to give good things to his children. Andrew Murray talks about the, the limitless fatherliness of God. I am very much limited in my fatherliness. But our Father in heaven is unlimited in his Father's heart towards us. And so I, I wanted us to pray. And we'll, we'll finish with a song, but we've got, we've got five minutes here. We, I, just, I just wanted to have a little bit of quiet, just to meditate. Um, and I, I want to pray over us. As I said, I, I, believe, I believe that the Father wants to take us into a deeper relationship. That Jesus truly is the way to the Father. Not theoretically but actually, truly, wants to lead us to the Father. And I believe that this will be one of the prizes if we are willing to be a people. <laughs> what can God do with the people who are willing to be humble before Him? I think He can do quite a lot. So let's pray. I'm just going to say a little something, but, uh, and then I'm just going to let, give the Holy Spirit time to speak to us individually. Lord Jesus, our Savior, our God, and our King, you made the way to the Father. And we thank you for your cross. And your, your word, Lord, tells us that you intercede for us. And that you are before the Father speaking about us. But Jesus, you didn't just split the veil to the Holy of Holies, but, but you take us by the hand. And you lead us to your Father and to our Father. You
you're the one who gave us the right to say, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. It's not, it's not only glory and, and majesty and wonder and awe in the presence of our Father, but there is tenderness and there is intimacy with the Father, with the God of all gods. And Lord, there's nothing more, there's nothing more humbling and there's nothing more worthy of our lives than to be in your presence. To know you as Daddy. Abba, Father. Holy Spirit, I, I ask, would you, would you just move through your children? Would you move through our hearts? And would you reveal the Father's face to us? Would you reveal his, his love to us? And Lord, where, where any of us are, are struggling with the idea of a good father because our earthly fathers failed, I ask you, Jesus, would you heal those wounds? Would you overcome them by the reality of our Father's love? 